readings of scripture for the day. This first one is from Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. And it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever, ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. This is the word of the Lord. be with you. Hey, my name is Troy, and I'm happy to be one of the co-lead pastors here at Marshall Bible Church. Um, happy New Year. And I'm not kidding. Um, happy New Year. According to today, as the first day of Advent, this is uh, uh, the first day of a new cycle of time on the church calendar, on the liturgical calendar. For the Christians all around the world, today is a significant way that we speak to the broader culture about what we prioritize. Today, marking the new year for us, says that we are organizing our time, individually and corporately, around a better story than the sales at Banana Republic. <laughs> Thank you, I heard one. <laughs> that we are organizing our corporate individual lives around a story that crescendos in the life of Jesus. This is a time when the church lives in alternative an alternative to time just being marked by Black Friday sales or whatever is the newest holiday programming on Netflix. We mark and organize time differently. And so today for the church around the world, we say Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year. Thank you very much. This is a day of celebration. It's a day that we are grateful to step into a new cycle of time. So I'm glad you are here joining us for this first Sunday of Advent 2021. Thank you. Advent, uh, you've heard us talk about it a lot already this morning, but I- I'm going to give a little more context. This is a season of seemingly contradictory claims. This is a time when we come together and we celebrate that Jesus has come. Emmanuel, God with us, has been actualized in the life of Jesus, born in Bethlehem. We will sing during this season, joy to the world, the Lord is come. And if you're at all like me, you will get choked up when Linus starts telling the nativity story in a Charlie Brown Christmas, speaking those words of the angels spoken to the shepherds, for unto us a child is born. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We celebrate during this season a reality that Jesus has come. But we also pray and we sing and we speak this consistent refrain during Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We hear words like these ones from Jeremiah that Lindsay just read for us, pointing to this future day when Jesus will return, when all the promises will be fulfilled and the rule and the reign of God will be fully realized. This is a season when we sing, come thou long expected Jesus, while we also celebrate that O holy night where Jesus was born. And this can feel like a contradiction for some of us. It can be hard to hold both of them. Which one is it? Has he come or is he coming? This uh, feeling of contradiction, it reminds me of my daughter Maggie. Of course it does, right? Like I see and understand everything now through the lens of my daughter. Sorry, I don't have a picture of her for us today. I'm just kidding. There's always a picture of her. There's always a picture. Why would I do that? Um, All right, so Liz and I have been having an interesting thing with Maggie right now. And it's uh, Maggie and water. Um, And it goes something like this. When Maggie is in her high chair, we are constantly saying something like this. Now, Maggie... We drink the water, we don't dump it out because she's constantly taking her cup and turning it upside down every chance she gets into her lap, okay? But then when we're in the bathtub, we're constantly saying something like this. Now Maggie, we dump out the water, we don't drink it because she's always finding some kind of receptacle and taking it, bubbles and all, right into her mouth. And I imagine this little 17-month-old brain doing something like this, trying to rationalize and make sense of this and saying something like, come on, mom and dad. Will you get it straight about the water? 
I mean, which one is it? Am I supposed to drink it or am I supposed to dump it out? It can't be both of these things, right? And then I imagine, because I have a very active inner life, I imagine talking to my daughter back to her and trying to rationalize and explain. Say, well, Maggie, my darling, here's the thing. It all depends on where you are in relationship to the water. That's the difference. When you're in your high chair, you drink the water. But when you're in your bathtub, you dump the water out. The difference is all about in your relationship with the water. And I would say the same thing is true for us as the people of God. As it relates to Advent, it's all about where we are in relationship to Jesus. Because we live right now in a way where both of these claims are true. He has come and he is coming. It's because right now we live in what Fleming Rutledge calls the time between. We live in a place where both of these things are equally true. We occupy an already not yet reality. Jesus has come. And with his coming, he inaugurated the renewal of all things. But that work has not yet completed and will never be complete until he returns again to fully consummate that. So we say during this season, as difficult as it might be for us to wrap our heads and hearts around, both are true. He has come and he is coming. And what that means for us during this time between is that we wait. And waiting stinks, right? Waiting stinks. It's hard for most of us. Plus, let's be honest, aren't we tired of waiting? The last 17 and a half years of this COVID pandemic, it feels like all we have been doing is waiting. We're tired of waiting. Most of us can identify with that sentiment in Romans 8 where it talks about how the created order, it groans while it waits. So many of us know what it's like. We understand those deep sighs and those groans. We understand the desperation of waiting. And so during this season, during this season of Advent, we want to address this shared experience head on. And we're going to talk about waiting. And we are primarily, over these next four weeks, going to be asking the same question from a bunch of different angles from the scripture. How do we wait well? How do we wait in a way that leads towards greater maturity, leads towards greater Christ-likeness? How do we wait in a way that doesn't diminish us, but that in fact enlarges us, enlarges us? How do we wait like this? So that's what I'm gonna start answering today. I just want to give you two insights, two ways of thinking about this um, as we enter into this season. Here's my first encouragement. We wait with hopeful imagination. Let's look at Jeremiah 33. Let's deal with that text first. If you've got a blue shed Bible, it's on page 732. Um, you'll notice that the prophet Jeremiah speaks 
these confident words. He is God's mouthpiece in this section. He speaks these words from God. It says, the days are coming when I will fulfill the good promise I made. Now, one of the things that the Old Testament prophets do for us is they give voice to hopeful imagination. Yes, they speak all kinds of doom and gloom. They, they point to all kinds of bad things that will likely happen. But one of the things they r- routinely return to is a kind of hopeful confidence that a new reality is coming, but that it's often really hard to put into words. And so what they do is they use these imaginative phrases and these different word pictures to try and capture the hearts and the minds of God's people, to try to wake them up, to rouse them from dazed and resigned lives. And I think that the prophet Jeremiah does that for us today as well. It's a waking up. It's an imaginative language, word pictures. Because many of us were tempted like those people who are described by Jesus in Luke chapter 21. There's this scene here where Jesus is telling a parable and he's describing a really dramatic scene to his disciples. Some crummy things are going down. And Jesus is describing what the people are are feeling like, how they're responding to these events. He says this, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. While we are waiting, one of the temptations that we often give into is despair. That what ends up dominating our lives, sort of like this picture here, is a kind of anxiety and bewilderment, uneasiness and dread. Or maybe even worse than those really strong emotions, we can become completely indifferent or numb, apathetic and unmoved. We stop looking for glimpses of new possibilities and we begin to assume that this is just the way it will always be. As one theologian wrote, humans meet despair when they cannot imagine God's promised alternative future. Waiting will often require a hopeful, and I would say uniquely Christian imagination. I love how the prophet Jeremiah points there in chapter 33. He points to the place where these promises of God will come true. And he says this, that the place is going to be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. That's the name of the city, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Imagine that on a water tower or a road sign, the Lord, our righteous Savior, three miles. That's not a title, that's a sentence. <laughs> um, it's, it's an unusual thing to call a place. But this will not be like any other place. 
Justice and righteousness will define that place. Everyone will live in safety. The righteous branch will be in charge. It's so unique that it requires a new kind of naming system. It's not enough to just call it Jesus Town or Messiah Village. It needs a new kind of naming category. So it's going to be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And this is a small glimpse of hopeful imagination. Imagining what will one day be true. Because friends, we do not wait as people without hope. In other words, we don't wait like the fans of the Detroit Lions. Wondering if there is good news in our future, if we will ever see an end to the darkness that we currently face. And yes, I just made a sports ball reference in a sermon. Thank you, my first time ever. I did get the name of the team right, correct? That shows you, someone asked me this morning, are you going to talk about the Michigan game? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So thank you, Tim, for doing that. We do not wait without hope. The Lord declares the days are coming. He says, I will fulfill the good promises that I have made. What is just and right will be done. So friends and family, let's wait with hopeful imagination. Second encouragement is this. We wait with humble surrender. Now we want to turn to the second text that we heard, Psalm 25. We only heard the first three verses, but really I'm going to be talking about the first 10 verses of Psalm 25, page 511 in the Blue Shed Bible. There's so much to say about this psalm that's going to have to wait for another sermon. Delwyn's song did a really wonderful job of giving us uh, the heart and the glimpse of that text. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to draw your attention primarily to the posture of the words to the posture of what's been written. Unfortunately, in, the, in our Bibles, in the NIV, there, there's a wonderful phrase that gets skipped in the translation. Lots of other translations include um, what I feel like sets up the real spirit and the tone and the heart of the rest of the words. And so here's the way that uh, some other uh, translations begin Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In Hebrew, soul is uh, this word nefesh. It's a really hard to pin down word. It kind of means lots and lots of things. But what's common is that nefesh is often trying to give the, the concept of a, the entirety of a person. We've mentioned this before. In, in a Hebraic mindset, there's, it's not easy to, to, uh, to separate people into categories and chunks. People are whole beings. So an original audience would have, they wouldn't think you have a soul. They would think you are a soul. You're a whole person. You're not these little chunks of people. So when this writer is saying, I lift to you my soul, it would have just been understood to me. I lift to you my entirety. I lift to you everything I am, all of who I am. And that makes a lot of sense when we keep moving forward in the psalm because starting in verse 4, the writer starts saying these things. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. There's this kind of all-encompassing spirit of surrender that we find in these words. Show me. Teach me. 
guide me. In our waiting, it's so easy to get caught up in what is ours, in our opinions, and in our read on things, to rely on our limited knowledge and perspective. Most of us, we feel really impatient during waiting, and so we want to do something, want to exercise our agency. We want to get things done. And the temptation during waiting is is to turn inward, to just focus on what I can figure out and what I understand, to focus on what I know and what I can see. But we see in this wonderful text that the psalmist, he humbly names the need for more than he can provide. He turns to God and he asks for more. Show me and teach me and guide me. Not only that, though, the psalmist, he keeps turning his attention back to what God is like. It's a psalm of testimony talking about the qualities of God. And just in a couple verses, we just get these words. God is great in mercy and love and good and upright and loving and faithful. We can be enlarged in our waiting by adopting this posture of humble surrender, lifting up all of who we are to the Lord, our eyes and our mind and our wisdom and our plans and our perspectives, asking to see and to know and to better follow the one who is trustworthy and good, the one whose ways are loving and faithful. Let's wait with humble surrender. I want to leave you with three, I guess, more specific practical ways. Those are more conceptual. I want to leave you with three specific ways that we can wait with this hopeful imagination and with a humble surrender. And these aren't limited to just the season of Advent, of course, but I can't help but wonder if the start of this new year, if the calendar isn't inviting every one of us into new ways of waiting, to adopt new practices of waiting. So I just want to offer three. The first would be this. Um, Consider practicing soul lifting. Adopt the posture of Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I lift up my entire self, all the concerns that I have and all the things that I care about. Now, as that's coming out of my mouth, I recognize this, that it's an impossible practice. These sort of I surrender all sentiments although they, were, they are good, they're just impossible to really live into, right? And they're impossible to sustain. And so I want to make this encouragement as it relates to soul keep, maybe, maybe two encouragements. First would be this. Be as specific as you can as it relates to soul lifting. Don't simply pray something like this. Um, Everything that I am and everything that I have and everything that I ever will be, I lift up to you. Make it smaller. Make it more specific. Make a, a more particular kind of prayer. Maybe we can use um, like the, the prompts, show, 
teach and guide to help focus and to narrow that kind of thing? Is there, a, is there some kind of nagging fear or a, a lingering resentment that you've been holding on to that you could surrender? Is there a particular person, a particular relationship that maybe needs to be surrendered and lifted up? Is there a perspective or a way of seeing the world, of seeing other people that needs to be surrendered? How about ingrained mindsets, worldviews, biases, habitually taken paths or habits that could use some new guidance? Can you be really specific in your soul lifting? Second would be this. I want to encourage you to try incorporating a physical gesture into your prayers. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul with your hands in your pocket. Feels a little strange, doesn't it? Uh, what would it look like to literally lift your hands or to extend them for those of us who are a little less comfortable? What would it look like to incorporate a physical gesture into that? It not, not only does, I think, it express a kind of vulnerability, a kind of um, neediness, but there is something about adding a gesture to your prayers that makes the connection between the head and the heart a little easier. It, it gets the whole body, the whole person Involved. Consider adding a physical gesture to the prayer. May we be the kind of people when we wait that we practice really specific and embodied soul lifting. Second encouragement would be this. Practice remembering. Make it a habit that you recount the ways that God has been good and faithful and loving in your life. Capture these things. Keep a record Find a way to regularly have an account so that like the psalmist, you can agree and you can testify the Lord has been good. His love is from of old. Uh, in that Luke passage that I mentioned before, right towards the end, Jesus tells the disciples, he says this thing, he says, you should be always on the watch. That's a really helpful phrase as it relates to trying to pay attention to God's goodness and faithfulness and love in your life. Be always on the watch and then find a way of capturing. Here's, here's maybe a specific practice for Advent. Consider making a, rem a remembrance Advent calendar. Instead of your typical Advent calendar where every day you pluck out a piece of chocolate, um, maybe make a calendar that you put something into a slip of paper or a note card or something where you tell a story or an anecdote or a brief summary of ways that God has faithfully shown himself to you, his love and his goodness and his kindness. And at the end of an Advent season, maybe what you've done is you've developed a, a habit over a couple of dozen days of being on watch and keeping a record, making some kind of account of God's love towards you. Practice remembering. Final practice, I'm going to say, is practice dreaming. Instead of just lamenting how bad the present is, 
allow yourself and discipline yourself to yearn for the promised future. I would bet that for most of us, our dreaming muscles need to be worked out. It's so easy to just sigh and to shake your head and to shrug your shoulders and to breathe out that dubious and troublesome phrase, it is what it is. Our Christian heritage is jammed with people who refused to give up dreaming. People who refused to stop longing for things to be made right. And the season of Advent is a time of the year when the worldwide church sings, Come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom us. No more let sins and sorrows grow. This is a time when the worldwide church dreams about the future. Maybe memorize this little text in Jeremiah 33 verses 14 through 16. At the very least, commit to memory this one little phrase. Whisper it under your breath. When it's appropriate, shout it out loud so everybody can hear it. The days are surely coming. The days are surely coming. The days when disagreeing won't make someone an automatic enemy. The days when the 153 million orphaned children in the world will know the security of loving families and permanent homes. The days are coming when the lion will lie down with the lamb and every abuse of power that we see and that we experience will be done away with. The days are coming when we will know perfect justice, perfect equity, perfect harmony, and perfect wholeness. The days are coming when the blessing of Jesus the King will flow as far as the curse is found. Marshall Bible Church, practice dreaming. Practice remembering and practice soul lifting. And as you wait, may you know an intimacy with God during that waiting. And so we together briefly pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Our hope is in you all day long.